Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes, think nice things about the person sitting next to you. On both sides, not just one side. Look around, pick the person you don't like in the room. We're going to pray for them right now, okay? a boy, but I, you know, it's, uh, some people, some people are doing this. Dan, I'm there looking around. I can't help it. Uh, come on now. Love the little baby Jesus and his brothers and sisters. Okay, here we go. Almighty God, who sent your son into the arms of Simeon and grew him as a teacher and a healer so that even the winds and the sea obey, give power to your word that your kingdom grows, that we serve you well, and that all creation is delivered into your glorious freedom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, if you drop some money in the basket, it's Essie month. So uh, Tony Briesman is the point person for that. You're all very good at this. Um, on the landing, you know, as you're going down to Sunday school or down to the basement, there's a board. Essie is, you know, the adult care. Uh, it's a it's a respite for for both people who um, you know are troubled just a little bit, and then their caregivers. That's often their family, and their, people have done everything from you know play their cellos to take their dogs to read stories to visit with people. If you just like being with people, if you have an extra day, if you want to sign up, February different play, different people, different churches sponsor different months. St. John is always very active in this in February. So if you could please um, sign up and go over whatever your particular deal is, go over and have some fun with those people. They would very much appreciate it. And if you put a little money in the basket, then uh, we will send it on to them. Okay, let's see. What else do we have to think about here? Carnival. So uh, Lent is on the way. Uh, this, is a, this is a little bit of a transition year for us. Maybe last year was a transition year. Maybe, it, maybe, it's, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm behind the times a little bit. Um, you know, we always talk about Christ, Scripture, prayer, the Eucharist, giving, and uh, mercy and a good witness. We haven't talked about money for three or four years, three years probably, four years, whenever we finished up the capital campaign. We, we should just talk about it. The cool thing about St. John is we're used to talking about it. So you think about... Um, you think about what's coming is even Lent. We're going to talk about money and tithing and almsgiving. And it's more, it's, for us, it's, not, it's even more than a tune-up. There are some people who need to get started who are new, who have never heard this. Um, so they need to hear it because they need to know what the rest of you kind of are thinking about and what many, many of you practice. So the good thing about St. John is we can practice this. We can talk about this without stress. It's not like, you know, the sky is falling, so we need to talk about money, which is how most churches do it. Not just the opposite. Um, you know, you're very faithful, and we have black ink, and so, but the, the, as you know, I've said this to you a gazillion times, you know, you don't, no place in Scripture do people give to a budget. You tithe, and then occasionally you give to a need, somebody else, for example, like when Paul takes a collection for people in Jerusalem because they're starving to death. So that's your tithing and your alms. The good thing about us is we get to talk about that in a calm situation where the sky is not falling, so it's kind of fun. Um, and it's just what Christians do. This is just another thing. Last year we talked about prayer and fasting. Many of you are here for that. I would say to yourself, if you still have those kind of notes, kind of review you know, your prayer and fasting toward Lent. Begin to think about that, about making your prayer regular, and then about in response to this great divine event that Jesus will die and rise again. Think about in response to that event. If you want to, um, if you want to fast this year, you know, begin to think about that. You have a lot of ability to do that. Uh, from last year, but, but then also think about, you know, so we've, we've talked about that, so this year we'll think about money, and next year we'll probably think about something else, okay? So it's, it's the season coming up. This is the, 
The, the seasons ebb and flow, you see. This is, in the green seasons are normally kind of your very calm, um, you know, I grew up in Iowa where, you know, these people make fun of you for watching paint dry and watching corn grow. Here's the thing. It does dry and it does grow, but you can't see it. That's what the green seasons are like. They sort of, you just sort of pay attention to things, and then at the end it's all taken care of. So today's a big day. By the way, you old school Lutherans who grew up, who grew up, who defends the red hymnal? TLH, who defends that hymnal? Okay, in that hymnal, I don't know if you know, and even before that hymnal, this was not, I got to check this, but I was talking to, this was not the, the, the presentation of Jesus. It was simply the feast day of Mary. And for you who read German, if anybody has a German hymnal at home, you go home and look at your, you look at this feast day in the, Ger, in the German hymnal. This was Mary's feast day. So for all people who think Lutherans didn't like, you know, and that was carried over into the red hymnal. For people who think we didn't like Mary, or blah, blah, blah. Always remember that Luther's church was, he served as pastor at St. Mary's Lutheran Church. Okay? And he never changed the name from, you know, 1530 to when he died in 1546. And this was the big feast day. This was St. Mary's Day. It was St. Mary's celebration this day because she comes and does what she's asked to do in the Old Testament. Uh, it's really a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. So check your red hymnal when you go home. I grew up with it too. Um, and we got to sing the Nunc Dimittis, so that was kind of fun too. So do you like the Nunc Dimittis? Should we sing that once in a while? We should probably sing that once in a while. I think we sang it all last year during Lent, so maybe a couple times during the year we can switch into that and have some fun with that. It is, it's a very, very nice piece. So... Okay, we're giving money to Essie. We're signing up for Essie. Sign up for Carnival, March 2nd. I mean, this is great. Uh, just, just come for dinner and have some fun. And it should, it should be a great, great time. It should really should be good. I have re had requests for pancakes already. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I'm not in charge of the food. You remember that was as you swept out the sugar in the eggs and, and what you weren't going to use, that traditionally dropped into a pancake, at least among the Scandinavians. So, um, you know, where I'm from, it turned into beer. So, uh, you know, either way, I mean, either way, however you want to welcome the little baby Jesus, that's fine. The other thing is, is um, men's and women's retreats. The, here's the thing. Come if you can. Stay overnight if you want. Don't let money be an issue and bring your friends. So that's what I want to say about all this thing. Come, come if you can. The, the, both the speakers are really fantastic. We're so privileged. Uh, by the way, I just got, I got an initial note that John Kleinig will probably be with us in August of next year, so that will be nice. It's always nice to see him again. He sent me his itinerary, and without asking, he just put St. John on it. And I'm like, I mean, that's a true friend. I mean, that's great. Like, all these, he's going to get an honorary doctorate in California. He's doing a national worship conference. And then it's like, St. John to Wheaton. I'm like, so, uh, but this one, and especially if you want to bring your friends, both, both of the speakers should be delightful. And they're both in nice places. One's at the Hyatt and Lyle, the other's at the Hilton. And the Arboretum, the women go like two places because they're so much fun. Uh, men shouldn't move after 5 o'clock on Friday. So they're going to stay in one place. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no will for that. So why is the men's more? I think because it includes beer, but I'm not sure. And that's the truth. I th like, why is the men's one more? I was looking, I'm like, I think it's because the beer is included. I think that's why. So, I mean, it is what it is. You have to... You have to shepherd the people you've got, not the people you want, okay? So, but bring your friends. It's like the men's steak fry. It's like, you know, it's like the, there's nothing, I mean, gee, it couldn't be less threatening. So, and if you know anybody who says, or you suspect money is an issue, money is not an issue. You know, pay if you can, if you're blessed and can. If you can't pay or if you know somebody who can't pay, come and see me. I will take care of it. I will find a way. 
I mean, if we need to rob a bank together, that is what we will do. In the name of the baby Jesus, we will do that. Or something else. We may have an alternative plan, okay? So we'll do one of those things that will pay the bill. But money is, money is not, I mean, see, this is why you talk about it at Lent, so that when things come up, you got it all figured out. You don't, you don't ever have to talk about money during the year. It's like, it's not a deal. So, I mean, if you need to get, you know, all your groomsmen back together and you think you can get free beer from St. John, you can. I mean, let me know. You're on the hook for the damages in the hotel room on your own, though, okay? You good? All right, so here we are. Um, we're, here's broadly where we've been. Jesus loves you. Because Jesus loves you, he gives himself to you. When he gives himself to you, he gives you all his gifts. He gives you his Holy Spirit that energizes you with faith, hope, and love. And he gives you other gifts like godliness, the godliness of Mary going to the temple. Delight, the delight of Simeon singing the Nunc Dimittis. Or knowledge, the knowledge of Adam in the garden before the fall. He knew what pleased God and what blessed him. And it's still true for you. The great joy of the Ten Commandments. So many of you were, and I'm, feel, I'm, I apologize on behalf of Lutheran Church and pastors, so many of you were beaten down by the Ten Commandments. The only time you ever heard about the Ten Commandments was somebody wanted to club you with them. Okay, you know, they're a suitable club, as those of you who still feel guilty from when you were in seventh grade know. However, you know, there is more to it than just the guilt. It is the Ten Commandments tell you, for example, what pleases God, and what blesses you. The Sermon on the Mount is the same way. Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Expect nothing in return. Turn the other cheek. Blessed are the meek. Jesus is telling you about himself. If, you, if Jesus was you know, posting on LinkedIn, he would just post the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' job description. But since you're part of the body of Christ, it's your job description too. So as we're able, we love, we bless, we don't retaliate. We pray for those who hurt us. We, 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 um, we expect nothing in return. I mean, this is the great thing about like talking about money or fasting or prayer. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. And you expect nothing in return. Nothing. Jesus says that. Pray for your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Expect nothing in return. So, you know, why do you do it then if you're not going to get anything back? Because it's the right thing. It pleases God and it actually blesses you. You give 10%. You give something to the poor. The Lord will take care of you. It's that simple. How he'll take care of you? It's much like the beer at the men's retreat. It just appears. It'll, it'll work out, right? It's just going to work out. So that was sort of the first bits that we did. Um, and, to, you know, we're, we're at the point of, of knowledge. Now, <laughs> I had a, uh, yeah, I have a, yeah. And we talked about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. What's the matter? I was thinking of my friend Timmy Thomas. <laughs> I was saying that he said, check this. You're going you're gonna to wish you didn't ask for this. So I got this friend who, from Timmy. He's a bright boy. And, you know, he's, got his, he's been in Philadelphia. I knew him from Princeton. And, you know, he's a bright, bright boy. He's written a couple of books. He's got his own business going, blah, blah, blah. He has a brother, Monk, who was just kind of a common laborer. And, uh, but Monk, we laugh all the time because Monk says the coolest things. He says, Timmy. I mean, you got to remember, Timmy went to Princeton. Timmy's a bright boy. Timmy's got Jack. He, Timmy's written a book or two. He said, Timmy, you're going to wish you didn't know this, Carol. He's going to say, the problem with you, Timmy, is you got no factual intercourse. <laughs> yeah, you th you'll have to think about that a little bit. But you see, that's, what, that's, that's knowledge and wisdom. 
So wisdom is down the line a little bit. This is like you told me, the, di the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowing tomatoes as a fruit, but not putting them in a fruit salad. You know, one is knowledge, one is wisdom, right? <laughs> yeah, it's similar. You got no factual intercourse, you know? You don't know how things fit together. You know, go, what do you do with your books? How do you put them in a pile and burn them? There's stuff to be learned. Well, so we're partway there. Now, the most interesting thing is when Jesus says then, hey, I'm giving you gifts. You, I'll tell you how to live in a God-pleasing way. I'll tell you how happy that will make you to do that. I'll tell you a lot of stuff. I'll tell you secret stuff. It's like Simeon today. I mean, when he says, my eyes have been opened, right? When he says, I see light. I mean, the first line translates to, this is so good you can kill me now, right? Or I think I quoted you, St. Bernadette, once about, she had a vision of the Virgin Mary, and she said, once you've seen her, you would die to see her again. I mean, that's a really interesting turn. That's like Simeon. Like, once you've seen him, you die to see him again. And when you, when you put everything, then all these little things like, you know, tithing and prayer and fasting and giving alms, they're all relativized. They're not the dominant thing that they are in most churches. That's just what we do. Okay? Now, the thing is, is without knowledge, this gift of God, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do because the world is a mess, and Satan is always talking in your ear, did God really say, did God really say, I don't think you got that right. In fact, if you'd tried this, he said you'd be worse. If you tried this, you'd actually be better. Did God really say? And then your own, you know, your own heart, you, I mean, people, we all do the stupidest stuff, even though we know it's going to hurt us, because temporarily it feels pretty good. And this is how sin, you know, how sin works is, sin is, you know, it's very rarely, you know, Satanism we're worried about with all of you, you know. What we're worried is is that your love gets, you know, just a little bit tilted. Heresy is always, you know, 20 degrees off true north. It's 30 degrees off true north. Sometimes it's two degrees, you know. Screw tape letters. Best way to damn a man is to leave him alone. Just let him be. Just, you just go out and be whoever you are. Find yourself, you know. The dean at Stanford, at Stanford was a kind of a cool thing you could for any reason, you could, you could just stop your studies and go do what you wanted. If you said, you know, I want to move to Paris for a year, they'd like, go in peace, serve the Lord. If you said, you know, I want to start a company, have some fun. Occasionally, someone was stupid enough to go to the dean and say, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to find myself. And the dean would go, that should take about 10 minutes. And then what are you going to do? You know? I mean, finding yourself is just like, and if you talk to people, I mean, uh, it's the good and bad of being in California. Everybody's finding themselves, so they're spiritually open. But really, it only takes about 10 minutes. So, you know, because there's nothing to find. You know, when you find yourself, you're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know. You remember when Jesus said he never trusted himself to men because he knew what was in men? Yeah, that's us, okay? However, he's very happy to tell you what pleases God, and what helps you. I mean, it's just, and the Ten Commandments, I mean, this, the, the Ten Commandments are the greatest thing. Don't have any other gods. I'm here if you need me. I'll meet you at church on Sunday. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Be happy with what you've got. Be faithful to your spouse. Love your kids. That's the Ten Commandments. I mean, that could be a Dear Abby column if you sort of, you know, stripped it of all cosmological value. So that's, I mean, Jesus comes to you and says, 
you know, this is what you need to know. And it's like, and you'll see, for all of you who have thought that I've been lost for 17 years, which is always a possibility, but I'd rather not entertain it, you only need to, I thought you'd laugh, but no, you took that seriously. <laughs> Here's the thing. Yeah, I know, I know, that's the problem now. Just, Sometimes you hit a nail on the head without even trying, right? I know. So here's the thing. Everything is connected to everything else. So if you get a few things like what sin is and what grace is and what the Ten Commandments are, everything else falls out. That's knowledge, and that's never ending. And that's what Jesus, you know, that's what Jesus is always doing. Now, what I've done there, as I've, and for you who think I don't follow, we might as well get it all out. For those of you who think I don't follow my outline, I just did the first eight points, okay? So you got uh, number nine, okay? Uh, you're, you're at the number nine point, which is what I gave you. So here's the thing. Jesus comes, and you know, it's not an accident that Jesus calls himself the way, big W, the truth, big T, and the light, big L. That's not an accident. You're on the way someplace, and you don't know where you're going unless he tells you the truth about that, and you don't, can't find the, you can't, you can't stay on the way unless you've got some light to show you the way. So it's not an accident when Jesus, when, when, when Paul says something like, imitate me the way I inter, imitate Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.11, I think. Imitate me like I imitate Christ. He's just saying, way, truth, light, here we go, okay? Now, um, I've been reading about the deadly sins for a range of reasons, you know, not just this, but because I am interested in Gilligan's Island, and then also because, you know, the, the lists have changed over the years, and different people have put them in different ways, and they don't always match up. Uh, and people have grasped them from different places. Um, so, you know, I was trying to think, you know, there isn't a direct one that matches up anti-knowledge, but kind of the one I chose to talk about with you is sloth, okay? Um, this is number 11. In its most basic sense, you know, sloth just means you're lazy. Or uh, in a more technical sense, it means you're inactive. Like you just never get around to signing up for the men's retreat, and then it's too late. So, you know, what will happen? We will talk about you behind your back, all of us. Then we'll have a couple of beers and we'll talk about you some more. I'm just saying, that's what we're going to do, okay? And we'll just say at the end of that conversation, we'll say, hey, that's not sinful for us because he's slothful. That's what we'll say. Unless you come, you'll never know. Okay, so, um, you know, sloth is just this, this inactivity. Uh, you know, I just, don't, I just never get around to it. It's like people, every once in a while we have somebody die in the congregation who's 80 years old who doesn't have a will. And we all sit around and go like this, because it throws the family in turmoil. By the way, make a will, okay? Because it washes back on us, and I'm a busy guy. I'd rather do something else. I mean, you get some, and there you're like, how does anybody in like 2014 not have a will? You're like, really? Uh, you were worried about the NSA spying on you. You should be worried about the government dividing your estate. Really, you could, you know. And then the wife is looking at us like, well, what am I going to do? And we're just like, really? You know? It's, this is, sloth is like the get off your butt thing, okay? One of the greatest calls I ever had, you know, we call through when people don't come to church, although, you know, there's too many of you and not enough of us, but one of the greatest calls I ever had is I called a guy who I liked a lot. And he hadn't been in church for a long time, and, you know, we sort of been listening. Called him up. It was the greatest conversation. He said, how come you're not in church? And this is the greatest thing. I mean, this is, this is true confession. The guy said, he said, Pastor, because I just like lying on my couch going through the channels with my remote. <laughs> oh, my son, you've made a great confession. I mean, that is, that is the definition of sloth at the most basic level, okay? It's just like, I'm choosing this rather than that. I just can't get off my butt to help anybody else. 
I'm just too busy to load up a bag of stuff for Christmas sharing, right? Too, I just can't, it's too much, it's too inconvenient for me to invite a friend to church or the women's retreat. I'm just, you know, I just got something else I got to do, which really is nothing usually. It's this inactivity. Do you remember, you remember back in the garden? What, what the charge in the, in the Hebrew, the charge given to Adam is to tend and keep, which by the way, you can just tuck, tuck this away, are exactly the same Hebrew words that are used when they ordain a priest. So Adam was to tend and keep the garden, and a priest was to tend and keep a congregation, to keep the temple. Very, very interesting, you know. It makes Adam the first priest, actually. But he was told to tend and keep. Even in holiness, Adam was to be busy doing the thing that pleased God, keeping things going, right? Straightening up his socks. Because the Lord had turned chaos into order, and Adam is meant to rejoice in that order. Say your prayers, give your tithe, be kind to your kids, you know? It's a, it's, so sloth is the rebellion against the order. It's the refusal to play. It's not an active rebellion, it's a passive rebellion. I just, I'm just I'm not going to play. I mean, so Jesus comes to you and he says, this is really, really good for you. And you're like, hey, thanks for that, man. Pass the chips. <laughs> That's sloth, okay? Um, it comes in, a lot, of, it comes in a, lot of, a lot of different forms, from that all the way to just the refusal to think hard. When people don't ever come to Bible study. Now, I'm not making the judgment about not this Bible study, because I know people go during the week, they go other times. But when people, when Christians, when Lutherans, say, this is fatal for you. If I had one of those, no, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I will. If I had one of those big swords that the zealots used to kill people with, I'd be tempted to come up close to you in a crowd and give you this. Would you say this to me? When somebody says to me, yeah, but my confirmation pastor said, here's what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, okay, so you haven't learned any religion since eighth grade. Have you learned any math since eighth grade? Did you learn to drive since eighth grade? How about science? Did you learn any science? You learn anything about finance since eighth grade? How about the law? You learn anything about the law? In every other aspect of life, it's important to know things. But for some reason in the church, especially with Lutherans, we occasionally think, in some very limited cases, that we hope we'll never see again, so nobody has to die. People who suggest that they learned all they need to know in the eighth grade. It's a fatal thing for me. I almost, it's like my eardrums, like, tie themselves in a knot and pull the canal shut so I can't hear it. Because, you know, there's no, that wouldn't be acceptable in any other venue. But in the church, we think somehow that's a, it's completely unacceptable not to learn in the church. It's unacceptable. Grow up from milk to meat. Be mature. You know, appeal to the things of the Spirit, not to the things of the flesh. It's all over Scripture. Okay? And it's all from this gift of knowledge. Now, as soon as you rebel against it, you act as if it's not a gift. You act as if God's ruining your fun instead of advancing you. You know, the important thing is, is that Jesus says this is how life is to be lived and we are all challenged. We're challenged by our flesh, by the world, by Satan himself. We're all challenged. And one of the ways we defeat the challenge is to learn, 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 which then gives us factual intercourse. Because what happens is you take, this and we'll do this later, the stuff that you learn, the facts you learn, will be applied well, which is going to be wisdom, and we're going to do that a little bit later. But the thing is, is this is why in churches, especially for leaders, you can't have people who don't go to Bible study because they don't know what 
they're doing. You might as well have the guy who works at the grocery store fix your car. No, if you need your car fixed, you go to Rich Red. And if you need steaks for the steak fry, you go to Dave Rickert. We don't get our steaks from Rich, although we probably could. And Dave never changed my oil, okay? Why? Because, well, I don't think he knows how to do it. He might, but I'm going to stick with Rich in this case, okay? Now, it makes complete sense to you in every other aspect of your life. If you have cancer, you don't walk into the hospital and say to the first guy that you see, you know, the guy with the bucket and the mop, hey, could you check this for me? And if you happen to have a sharp knife with you after your coffee break, could you take this out for me? You don't say that. When, you, when, you, when you're in trouble with the law, you don't represent yourself. Only a fool represents himself. If you're writing a PhD, only a fool does his research by himself. Right? In every other aspect, we say this is okay. But sloth tells us that in the church, it's all okay. All right? And that discourages us, and you basically then, what happens is you get communities that just devolve. They just get worse and worse. Look around, you know, not here, I mean in the world. We just get worse and worse and worse. You know, we just get worse and worse and worse. So I'm at 12. Sloth is the opposite of knowledge. My high school history teacher, Mr. Taylor, we might as well get all my friends in, who said, high school, you learn pretty much everything you need to know. Right. Thinking is hard work. That's why so few people do it. I've always remembered that. Thinking is hard work. That's why so few people do it, right? So, um, you know, it can take the, the form of spiritual laziness. Now, look at the rebuttal from 1 Corinthians 2. These things God has revealed, epiphany, manifestation, opened, lighted, through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, and this is great even the depths of God. You want answers? This is the place to get answers, from the depths of God. Okay? From the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comp comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So the spirit, this is the spirit's job, among other things. The spirit is praying for you. The spirit is gathering you, your catechism. But the spirit is enlightening you. Calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies, we say. And we learned about how he energizes you, which is going to be, you're going to tuck that away because energy is going to be the, the antidote for sloth. The antidote for sitting on your couch and flipping through the channels instead of going to church is energy. Faith, hope, and love. I believe. I need help. And I know where I'll be accepted. Faith, hope, and love. They're the energies that draw you here, okay? We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given. So it's not just grace that's freely given, but knowledge that is freely given. Isn't that great? And we impart his words not taught by human wisdom, devil, world, flesh, sloth, but taught by the spirit interpreting the spiritual truths. Not just, with, not just knowledge, but wisdom. Interpretation has to be with how does this apply to our situation? What's the wisest thing for us to do in this particular case? What do you do with the church for this particular person? How do you care for them? And the answer might be different in one case or another depending on who they are. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is all about pastoral care. So basically this is what happens. The Holy Spirit searches God's mind and then tells you what God is thinking about. That's knowledge. Isn't that great? 
He searches God's mind and he tells you what God is thinking about. He tells you in the Ten Commandments. He tells you in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells you when Jesus goes to the cross. So all the other things that churches are talking about, okay, that's actually not important. We're not the YMCA. You know, we're not the Lions Club. We're not, we're not your workplace. We're the church. So the church is defined by doing and saying and thinking the things that God is doing and saying, and in this case, thinking about. We think the things that God is thinking about. You remember once where Jesus says, you don't have the mind of, or Paul says, you don't have the mind of Christ. He says, as a judgment on people, you don't have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? It means you don't think about the things that God is thinking about. And the Holy Spirit has told you what God's thinking about, and you still refuse to think about it. Now, I sound cranky. I realized I sounded cranky for like three minutes. I'm actually not cranky for this reason. Because so many people come to Bible study. I mean, we have almost as many people in Bible study every week as we have in church. Um, if you add it all up between this and joy group and confirmation and women on Friday and men on Thursday and all the other things that are happening, it's a startlingly high number, which is why this is such a great place. Because actually people are thinking about the things that God's thinking about. But that, by definition, is what Christians are meant to do. You're not supposed to be thinking about other stuff in church. You think about church stuff in church, then you take that out with wisdom, and we're not there yet. You take that out and you apply it on your life, in your life, outside here, okay? The natural person, catechism, the devil, the world, our flesh. Natural person is our flesh. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the spirit. So you basically say to God, you're really stupid and I'm really smart, which is the first sin. I mean, the Adam and Eve sin is simply them saying to God, you're not a very good God. We think we'd be a really good God. In fact, this guy right here, what's your name again? Beelzebub. That's right. He said I'd be a really good God. So this is the first sin, right? You say to God, I mean, this is the really the only sin. Hey, you say to God, like you said to your parents, like you said to your teachers, hey, you're not so smart. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. You make fun of it, right? Ridicule it. Also, he's not able to understand them because they are, and we did this earlier, we had the verb, spiritually discerned. Discerno means you put things next to each other, like you find a wallet, A, you can empty it and throw, throw, throw empty it of the cash, take the charge cards and throw it in a dumpster, or B, you can call the person and return it. That's discerno. So you can be dishonest, or you can be honest. You put the things side by side and you choose. See, sloth refuses to choose, refuses to even work up the energy to choose. Might even know, Pastor, I know I should be in church, but I like sitting on my couch, you know, flipping through my channels. It's such an honest answer. You can't even be mad at somebody like that. It's so great that they have that kind of self-knowledge, you know. You just want to say, thank you very much for not BSing around. You at least know what's going on, okay? The spiritual person judges all things, but himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But, and then this is important, notice how mind goes with thinking, goes with intellect. But we have the mind of Christ. Other places the scriptures talk about having the heart of Christ. But in this case, with knowledge, we have the mind of Christ. So the Spirit, so the first thing you have to remember is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit think the same thing. They all have different personalities, and they act in different ways, but they're agreed on the basic <laughs> stuff. Okay? So the Father is thinking. The Spirit goes and gets the things. This is like you working with the cloud. 
just goes and gets your things and then gives it to you, right? The Spirit just searches the heart of the Father and brings it to you. And when Christ sees that, he nods along because he shares the mind of Christ. Or, I'm sorry, he sh the Christ shares the mind of the Father. Brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. And this is the thing about, this is names on a page. And kind of, you know, churches have all kinds of names on a page. They don't know where people are. They haven't been there for 10 years. They've moved away. You got all these names on a page. They're not spiritual people. The Pope said a genius thing. One of, one of the things is, there's things to like about the Pope and not like about the Pope. He's way ahead in what people like in him right now, which is great. But he's starting to say stuff that is going to shoot people the other way. Like he said this week, you really can't think about anybody who doesn't come to church as a Christian. I'm like, boy. <laughs> Finally, we've been waiting. Because he's like, these are your people. And you can't think of somebody who says, I'm, I'm one of the people if you're never with your people. Boy. He said, it's just impossible to think that way. Then he kind of moves on. Nobody notices that. But it's very interesting. You know, there's this second front being built. We'll see how it works out. Okay. I couldn't address you as spiritual people. You don't come to church, for goodness sake, and you act like idiots. This, well, First Corinthians is all about people acting like idiots, by the way. You know, we heard, we heard having denominations and fighting with each other and making fun of each other and leaving people out and being selfish. It's a mess. Corinth is a mess. It's a mess. I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I couldn't treat you as if you're church members, as if, you're, as if you know anything, as if you've paid attention to the mind of Christ, but as people of the flesh, as infants, in Christ. So just picture an infant. You don't let infants decide, you know, church policy. You don't let them hear confession. You don't have them make big decisions. They can't. They don't have the capability. He's basically saying to people, yeah, you can order eggs for breakfast, but when it comes to church things, and you've heard me say this before, this is why, this is what's so dangerous in the church. The somebody who's a good banker, you suddenly make him president of the congregation. It doesn't, it's not the same skill. Some of the skills are helpful, like black ink is better than red ink, you know, and don't steal, basic stuff bankers know. But you know what? The skills don't automatically translate. You might do better off with an old lady who prays three hours a day in a nursing home as president of your congregation because she's in touch with the mind of God. I mean, that's what the text says. You look for spiritual people, grown-up people, mature people. You put people in their spot who've done what Jesus has asked them to do. Why is there jealousy and strife among you? Now you just fill in all the churches you've ever been in. Why is there trouble? Why do people fight? Why are they afraid to talk about money? Why do they, why do they fight about money? Why do they not be merciful? Why don't they tithe? Why don't they give alms? Just all the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Why don't people do that? Why is there jealousy and strife? Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way when people say, I follow Paul, I follow Paul? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. It answers itself. Why can't you make a church work? Because you act just like you're in the world. Okay. Now, the great thing is, knowledge is the great antidote to that. I'm turning the page. Okay, I got about seven minutes. Now, I need to be, I need to be really gentle with you here. It's really easy as a pastor to, the first page is a bit more like coaching. You say to people, you're just lazy, get off your butt. And frankly, people need to hear that in the church. That's one form of sloth. There is a more dangerous and nuanced form of sloth of which the church has been aware for centuries and centuries. 
in some ways it's very much more painful and very much more personal. It takes the form of what's called acedia. Okay? In the church it's been known as this. It presents in different ways. It presents as discouragement, as sorrow, as melancholy, as despondency, or despair, or even depression. Okay? Now, I've just, we just opened the lid on a big old can of worms. All right? So now sometimes the church just has to say, and I just have to say to you, you know what? If you're not tithing, rearrange your finances and get going. If you're not praying, morning and evening, because that's what the scriptures say and that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave a tithe and he gave alms and he told you to do the same thing. Jesus said his prayers morning and evening. He's always in the temple and he, and he wants you to do the same thing. Those are just matters of will. Those are just matters of will, okay? Just get off your butt and come to church. That's just, that's just like... That's like putting your shoes on and starting your car. It's not that complicated. Acedia is actually very complicated because it is the interplay of your brain or your mind, both brain and mind, okay, distinguish the physical matter and then also your mind, how you think, and your heart, your emotions, and your soul, how you choose, right? And it can be for people a big muddle. And one, one of the ways you can tell that the church is more sensitive to this is, and I'll just be honest with you, is thank God we finally have prayers in the hymnal for people who commit suicide or take their own life. The worst thing you can say to a person who's in despair is, cheer up. And if people could cheer up, they would cheer up. If you've ever, ever been in darkness, if you could lighten up, you would lighten up. So this is different in some way. This is not just the simple act of I'm lazy and I can't get this done. This is a tangle. And the church has often um, been not good with this, but the church has often been very, very good with it. And I'll tell you why. Because the church understands darkness and the church understands spiritual challenge. You know, the, the church hasn't always understood the chemistry of your brain. But real honestly, the church has been sensitive to this, and the church is getting better at this. And this is why, you know, and I've said this to you a ton, you know, the first thing I say to people when they come in and, and present in this way, in the same way when people present when it seems like they might be afflicted by a demon, the first thing we tell them to do is go to their doctor. Like go to your doctor and see if something is messed up with your brain, because it can present as a spiritual symptom. And the next thing we say is, find a therapist. Because I don't do what a therapist does. A therapist gives you a program, gives you the strategy for how to get through that. That's not what I do. I do a different thing. You know, I give you grace, which fits with the strategy, and it all gets bundled up in a perfect world. So the point of this is, I want to be very, at this point, I'm really, you know, for, for, for if your challenge is that you can't get off the couch, I'm about to confess to you. I don't have a ton of sympathy for that because it's, you can get up off the couch to get more chips, even if it means driving to the jewel. You can figure that out. <laughs> so you should get up off the couch and drive to church and get more Jesus, okay? You can do it. I've seen you. You get tracks down your driveway in the snow. But I've also been with people who have been curled up in a ball who can't even open their eyes because they are so despondent. Sometimes for real reasons, they've lost someone they loved. Sometimes because their brain is whacked and their chemicals aren't right. 
Sometimes for because they've indulged a sin and they can't believe they did it. And that is like untangling fishing line, okay? So what I want to be very careful to say to you is, you know, in this case, we don't just, we don't just sort of march in and say, hey, man, why don't you get better? Because you haven't, you haven't done your work at that point, okay? It's still, it's still a mark of sin, or it's still a, if you will, it's still a, it's still a result of sin. But people who say, and sometimes you get eager young seminarians who will just say, you know, you just go to confession and see your pastor, it's all going to get better. Uh, that is, that you didn't exactly learn your lines right. That's not exactly what happens. Certainly the, sinful pers- the, sin, the sin needs to be forgiven if there is a sin, but sometimes there's not a sin. In darkness, sometimes there just isn't a sin. And you have to distinguish that from this. All I'm saying to you is this is very complicated and almost needs to be done case by case. It does need to be done case by case. And you can't just sort of say to somebody who suffers from this form, hey, why don't you get better, when you might try that in the other case. Um, I'm just going to run you a little bit, and then we'll have to stop. I'll just take up the little bit of this left. But you know how this feels. You can get cynical. You can fail to see the point of life. You can give up. Um, you can curl up in a ball. Spiritually, if you listen to people who talk about spirituality, they'll often talk about this as spiritual dryness or aridity, like arid, like a dry desert. Um, because we have to go, I'm just going to give you the gospely punchline. Um, I've talked to you in the past, I mean, probably 10 years ago, I did a whole thing on spiritual darkness and the way through and the care of the soul. Um, so everything that I've said, one goes very gently. You see your doctor, you see a physician to make sure, to, to see if it's a medical issue. You see a, a psychiatrist to see if it's a, a mental issue. You see your pastor if it's a matter of the soul. The three of those work together. Once that's been sorted out, the way out is the way out. And the great example of this is Mother Teresa, who everybody recognizes as a saint, who says from the time she had two moments of brightness in the 44, 50 years she worked in the slums of New Delhi, on the train when she was going, and it disappeared. And then once she had about four or five or six weeks of brightness in the middle, 30 or 40 years in. And the rest of the time, she said of her own confession, I had no idea that anything I was doing did any good at all. I had no idea why I was there. I just did what the Jesus had given me to do, which in its own way is faith. So the answer, and this is the easy answer, but hopefully you'll take everything I've said and put it behind this, which is if you come to me and say, I suffer from this, I'm going to tell you, go to the Eucharist. The Eucharist, once you're baptized, the Eucharist is the easy... Baptism, especially if you bring a baby, they're, they're helpless and hopeless, man. We just... We, they're, we're, they're help. I mean, you, you, I mean, they don't put their hands up and like they might cry a little after the fact when the demons come out, but pff, we got them. Boom. Okay. The Eucharist is almost that way. I mean, all you have to do for the Eucharist is open your mouth, and sometimes we'll open it for you. And occasionally, for people who are you know almost dying, Graham Graham Green, the suffering alcoholic priest in Mexico. Um, when he thinks what he's done isn't worth anything, the last thing he does is slip the host between a dying man's lips. That's the church. Okay, more next time. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you next week. Thank you very much.